When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Bar Don't Lie right here on 1049 The Horn. Um, I, the reason I love the themes, the musically themed days of the week, honestly, my man Patrick does a great job with him too, the Idillionaire, is because I learned so much. You know, it's, it's the same reason I loved working with Craig Way. Working with Craig Way was like, I mean, that was like when I was with the Denver Broncos and I got a chance to uh, practice on the same team with Jerry Rice. All right. Just, he's just schooling me every day. I'm just picking up no nuggets of wisdom. But same thing with my man Patrick with his new theme Thursday, midweek movie music, or top of the charts Tuesday. Um, I always learn something new, learn something new today uh, about my ignorance about Jeff Beck and how iconic and legendary he was as a yes. guitarist. Super influential. And I, I think the Spec Text line, a lot of Jeff Beck fans on the Spec Text line. Yes. So new theme Thursday, my man Patrick, and I think it's uh, ap- apropos paying tribute to Jeff Beck. Exactly, and you can hear there's doing different styles already. It has been, yeah. It's very, I mean, it's eclectic, and it's some jams that are that are really popular that I know, and then obviously some that I'm not so familiar with. Yeah, and that's one of those things about being influential, or being like why he meant so much to so many people, is because he kind of just did whatever he wanted all the time. Because he was that good, though. He was that. Yeah, but it was it was a thing of like for him, it was never like he's like I'm famous enough. I don't need to write all these number one hit singles and be the guy to do that. I'm just gonna go record this. I want to work with those guys. So I'm gonna do an album with those guys. What was his? Um, what moment did he hit it big? Like what was his? So like his ascent? original thing was in the '60s with the Yardbirds. He basically. Oh, re- I know that. Oh, he replaced Yardbirds. Eric Clapton in the Yardbirds. Okay, there you go. Or he replaced Jimmy Page. I can't remember if he replaced Jimmy Page or Eric Clapton in the okay. Yardbirds. But he replaced. The, he joined the Yardbirds, which were like the cool one of the coolest bands in in gotcha. England back in the day. And from that point on, he was kind of a made man. But then he had the Jeff Bread group with Rod Stewart and Ron Wood, who went on to then be in The Faces, and then Ron nice. Wood went on to be in The Rolling Stones. Rod Stewart, of course, became a huge star. So he kind of came up through all that, and then he's just been around, and there's just a bunch of cool stories about him, too, of like he would just show up and play with people, and there was this really really good young uh, bass player, and she goes and like comes to his front door, and she's like, hey, I'm this bass player, and I want to play. He's like, cool, let's go play. Oh, and then, like, he ended up taking her <laughs> like on the road right with him and stuff, and was just like, "Yeah." And they started playing. She's like, "Oh, she's really good." I like, like he playing just with her. met this person. Just, yeah. uh, but he's like, "Come the house work? and come play." Wow. He's just like he was just that kind of dude. He's one of them dudes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, I've talked to people that have met him and stuff, and they're like, he was just a really like you have a conversation, and it wouldn't be like you were talking to a celebrity or a famous iconic guitar player. It was like you talk to him and be like, "Oh man, I love your haircut," or "Yeah, oh man, oh, your accent's did, great." As if he didn't know how famous he was. Exactly. Yeah, I, I've met people like that. I'm like, man, you you act like you don't know how famous you are. That's really cool. Yeah, and that was that <laughs> was one cool? of the one of the th- one of the people said that they were like, "Man, he came up with Jimmy Page and Eric Clapton, and he was the only one who didn't think he was the best of the three, and he was the best of the three. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the humility, man. That's yeah. that's usually uh, what uh, makes 
makes you great too. That's part of it. Uh, so Jeff Beck, uh, shout out to my man Patrick too, the Idillionaire, uh, coming up with a great theme for New Theme Thursday, just paying tribute to uh, one of the all-time great guitarists. And the Specs text line has been lit up with uh, fans of, of your work, Patrick, but also fans of the work of Jeff Beck. And they're giving you some props for uh, giving him uh, so much love on the show today. All right, let's give somebody else some love on the show today. Let's give some love to Texas basketball and Rodney Terry and their effort last night. You got a chance to witness it, uh, Patrick, firsthand. You were there. So as an eyewitness account, I can't wait to hear your thoughts about it. But a 79-75 win for Texas over TCU, number 10 versus number 17. So it was a you know a ranked showdown last night. The Longhorns at what point down by 18 points? It was 40 to 22 with 2:15 left in the first half. I'll admit, full disclosure. All right, because this was a tale of two halves. It was the, the the worst of times and then the best of times. At that point, I decided I wanted to ha- watch the game with a buffer, so I turned the game off for about 15, 20 minutes. I was a little frustrated watching things. I was like, you know what? I don't want to ruin my night, so I'm going to start dinner, go ahead and eat and hang out a little bit, eat, and then I'll, I was going to go back to the game. So I did, and maybe that switched the mojo up because uh, by the time I got a chance to tune back in and get through a uh, little bit of halftime, the Longhorns were already making their comeback, and and I talked about this earlier, uh, Patrick. By the way, it was the largest comeback for the Longhorns since 2013 versus Oklahoma uh, when they won 92 to 86. And I kept trying to think about when the game turned for me. For everybody, I'm sure it was a different point. Um, but the Longhorns just seemed lifeless. Uh, and they just seemed discombobulated, and uh, they 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 had a low energy level for a while. There yep. were some slow and lazy rotations on defense. They were really careless with the basketball early on, and I was waiting for kind of the moment where they woke up, where I thought, "Oh no, no, signs of life that this team this team is ready to fight." For me, honestly, it was the it was the the sequence where Dylan DeSue gets the block and then has the. Uh, was it the I think it was a putback? Was it a putback or was it a layup? Either way, I think he finished at the rim. Yeah, yeah. You remember? He, it was yeah, a he scored. No, yeah, it was. He it was scored on back both to back. Yeah. He, had a, yes. he had a play on defense and a play on offense. And honestly, I'm not going to give him all the credit, but he gets a lot of it because we hadn't seen Dylan DeSue play a game like that in a while. He tied his uh, season high with 14 points and 12 of those in the second half. It was right around that time where I knew they were ready to fight. I wasn't sure they were going to win. Because 18 points, that's a lot of points. Yeah. But I knew that uh, this ain't going to get worse and it wasn't going to be a blowout. This team um, was ready to try to make this thing a a, four, a, 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 a second-half game that was going to come down to clutch time. That's exactly what they did. And I love the fact that you had guys who showed up in clutch time for you. Didn't have great games. Marcus Carr didn't have a great game, only 11 points, but had some crucial uh, shots and buckets down the stretch. Serge Barry Rice. 15 points, all of them in the second half. He was fantastic down uh, the stretch for you in the clutch. And enough cannot be said about Dylan DeSue as well, stepping up for you with 12 of his 14 points in the second half. Um, I think the, you know that, that second half effort for me and a lot of those guys coming up clutch like that really did kind of tell the story um, and, and set really the tone for Texas that they were not only going to fight back, but they were going to find a way to win that game. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was not losing yourself at that point when nothing seemed to be going in. You were getting open shots at points, so you were playing badly. The, the beginning of the game was just unwatchable was of hard. them dribbling off of themselves, them making really just lazy passes, and and everything was coming back the other way and being converted into points. And so just that beginning of it. And then once they got down, you know, in the second half, they did a really good job of 
They made a run at one point, got down to two, and then it exploded back up to 10 immediately. 56, I, I think it was 56 seconds yep. where they went on an 8 0 run. And it was all of a sudden a 10 point game again. And you could lose it then and just go, well, you know, we, we, we made a run, but we didn't get it. And they didn't stop then. And in the first half, they didn't stop when it was, hey, man, we're down. It's the first half. But instead of waiting and just trying to get into the locker room, they did make a couple of pushes there at the end to make it seem like a more salvageable game in the second half. But it was really, it's just, you can't turn the ball over. This team's not offensively good enough to turn the ball over, get back on transition D, and then try and go back and score again. It just throws off their mojo so much. So it's like you just have to be a little bit more crisp with your passes. You just have to be more, you have more intent in everything that you're doing. And I think it takes these guys a while to figure out how to get through some of these defenses, especially when they're playing like uh, TCU is very long and athletic. And they were having a lot of problems of going in the paint, and they're like, well, I'm going to get blocked so I can get around a guy, but I'm going to get blocked. And then if we're getting open shots, we're missing. We're what, two for 12 in the first half for three? Two for 14. Two for 14 in the first half. Yeah, I think it was something like that. And so you're like, if you have that going for you, if you're like, we can't hit anything – and both those were Tyrese Hunter, I believe. Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, you're talking about the, the hit. That the threes makes, in the first yeah, half. Two yeah, two yes. Which was because they were just basically leaving him open and daring him to shoot after a while. He was the one they said, we'll card everybody else. And, you know, you're getting open. You're moving without the ball like we talked about yesterday and mm-hmm. getting open. But the problem was he just couldn't get those to fall. Uh, he got a couple big ones because the ones he hit were big because you were. needed them. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's just a thing of they need to figure out – how to come into these games as the aggressor. They look like they keep coming into some of these games like they want to play solid basketball, not realizing they're in for a fight every night. And you're like, you can't come into the fight expecting for this to be fair. And like, yeah. you expect them to not want to jump on top of you. They're coming to get you every single time. And I, I think they just need to be a little bit more prepared for the fight that the aggression that these teams are showing up front in these games because we've seen it a couple times now where they're just like, wow, this guy's really playing me tough. You know, normally you do slow and steady wins the race. You don't overplay in the first five minutes of a game because in the fourth quarter or in the last mm-hmm. two minutes, you're going to be dead. Most These teams understand, oh, if we can get a lead on these guys, it's a lot harder for them to come back because they don't have a great offense. It, Texas showed resilience and then showed that they have enough, a varied enough offense now. And I, that's, I love the way you said that. Very, that's a great point because it, they got different ways that they can really conjure and manufacture offense, and that's a really that's a compliment to the construction of the roster. It really yeah. is um, because and, and I think it, we talked about this earlier. Timmy Allen is he he he, he is the savvy vet who knows exactly when he needs to. Uh, assert his 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 presence on the floor, and in that game he was eight of 13, 17 points. He led the team in scoring, but it was so timely. It was exactly when they needed him, and yeah. it's it's not something where he's he is he's a ball hog and he is trying his best to have the offense flow through him. He really he does almost seem to do it in a complimentary fashion where if the offense needs him, whatever they need him to be, he's malleable enough in this game to be that. Yeah, and I mean, what you'll see is a lot of these times he's scoring out of the corner or scoring off an net. Like, he's not coming from the top of the key on a lot of these scores in the paint, which will tell you, hey, man, I'm getting the ball when no one else can do anything. 
Because if I'm getting the ball in the corner, it means the point we've moved the ball already to me. Mm-hmm. It's not me dribbling the ball up the court and then deciding I'm going to attack and then going into it. It's a lot of times him coming and just be like, this is what's open. We know they've rotated to this point. Now I can exploit it. But the way I'm exploiting it now opens things up more for everybody because now when that person drives and they kick it to me, the team defense for TCU or whoever they're playing has to be going in a different thought process of, hey, we got to come out and close out on the three because he's blowing past us. So if they can't close out on that three, now you put somebody else in that corner and now it's an open three because they're not closing out anymore on the three because Timmy Allen's beating him in the paint. And it's just in-game adjustments like that are really hard to make for player to player. It's hard to go in and go, hey, if number three does this, do this. If number zero does this, do that. You pretty much have to go, hey, man, don't close out hard in the corners. They're not hitting threes, and they're blowing past us right now and getting mid-range and killing us. You'd say it as a broad thing. So then it opens up that you may be able to get some threes later in the game because Timmy Allen's doing that. So there's a lot of effects of being able to have a solid mid-range game, and he has really, as you said, really gotten down to the part of not taking bad mid-range jumpers. Yeah. When he's taking them, he feels really confident that he can hit them. His, his offensive game, it's just not it, – there's no waste in it really, right? He's, he, yeah. he's really efficient now in his offensive game, and I agree with you. He knows exactly what role he needs to play within the offense given the, the circumstance uh, on that specific play. And I thought he did a, a marvelous job last night of just keeping them in the game. Um, when they they needed a bucket, they yeah. needed a bucket. Timmy Allen was that bucket, a guaranteed bucket. They were high percentage shots, like you said, for him, uh, not for most. Like you said, analytically, I guess his game is not considered the the best game analytically uh, speaking. Um, but man, he is so. I like this texture. He said, just like Mister Fundamental, he does seem to be that guy. It's a very. Um, it's not a flashy game, and it doesn't blow you away. But damn, it's effective. No, and it's. I mean, it's on both <laughs> ends of the court too. I mean, offensive and defensively, he knows where to be. He knows how to put himself. He's good at getting in the way. We talked earlier about what Dylan DeSue can do on offense uh, of getting around smaller, shorter defenders in the post. Timmy Allen is very good at getting bodies on guys, having enough strength to not let big guys really bow him down, but also stay in front of them to say, look, you can shoot over me, but at least I'm going to not let you get a dunk or a layup, and hopefully I can mess with you enough that it, you know, you have to alter your shot a little bit, and that makes you miss. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, that having Dylan DeSue uh, have that type of game um, really was a, a a luxury for Texas uh, last night, and because Marcus Carr, he, he got eleven points, but Marcus Carr has been giving you what averaging nearly what, eighteen points per yeah. game or something like that. So he wasn't consistent in the game. Came up uh, clutch later on. Um, he wasn't consistently giving you uh, that offense and Serge Barry Rice. And what else can we say about Serge Barry Rice? I was I was told before the season started that the coaches were just raving about his situational awareness and his basketball IQ. And he just keeps showing that time and time again. In this matchup, Patrick, not only the 15 points all came in the second half, but he had those three crucial rebounds to seal the victory basically late down the stretch and the free throws to seal the game late down the stretch. He's a guy that seems to be getting better and better the more he plays. Yeah, I mean, he is. He's another one of those guys that is just a savvy veteran of the way he plays. Uh, And it's just... It's just so much fun to watch him play because you can see him get frustrated at points in the first half when, you know, someone's just, they're just getting away with stuff or, you know, like there was a lot of stuff where bigs were rotating out and hand checking, which drives me nuts that it doesn't get called. Yeah. But, 
you'd see his stuff and he'd be like, look, man, what do you want me to do? But he just kept his cool and kept playing well. He plays really good defense, keeps his hands up. And then when it got down to the end of the game, he understood how to protect the ball, get quality shots, and just slowly and deliberately get to the bucket and not rush it to where you're out of control mm-hmm. and you get down there and you he can see, hey, man, look, if that big man's going to close in, even if I go as fast as I can, he's still going to close in. So let me see if I can get around him or get it to where my guy can get in place in between yeah. us so I get a little bit more leverage. Can I put my body in between us? Those type of things that you can do when you're just a half step slower, but I don't call it something like a more deliberate. Yeah, like that. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you on that. It's, it's uh, yeah, his game is so smooth. Yeah, uh, it really is a, a very smooth style, very smooth skill set, and he, his defense. Um, he did a great job defending Mike Miles in the second half of yeah. the game down the stretch. Uh, that's another thing I think is underappreciated about Sergio Barry Rice is that uh, his defense actually is a is a, an asset for Texas too. Um, especially uh, considering Tyrese Hunter, who's contributing in other ways. Um, I mean, he had other uh, things that um, he brought to the table. And, and the I mean, team. and look, when do we want Tyrese Hunter to get hot? The in March. It, yeah, <laughs> we want to get hot in March. So, look, we're going to weather th- through this right now. We know what he can do because we've seen it. Is he cramping again? No, he hasn't been. They've they've been doing better. He okay, hasn't been so cramping. Cramping not an issue. That has not been a problem. That that was in, early in the season. But yeah, I noticed that last night because they were playing a lot of minutes and they're leaving the guys in. I'm like, ooh. This may uh, yeah. this may be a problem. Have not th- seen it in a while. Okay. That's a good thing. So yeah. it's not that. I think it's – and, I mean, it was first half. He's when he took a bunch of threes and just couldn't get them. He's getting open ones. I, I, it's just a confidence thing. Uh, he's just got to see it go in a couple more times. Uh, we saw him do well uh, in the K-State, K-State game. game. But that K-State game such a throwaway game because you played so out. poorly yeah. on the one end of the court yeah. that I think it just kind of – it just everything kind of gets thrown away in that. That's a good point. Uh, and then no one shot well in Oklahoma State. So it's just going to be a matter of him. When it when it starts to roll, it'll start to roll. Like, Marcus Carr probably can't stay as hot and clutch as this as he is right now. Man. That it, shot he hit was insane to me because of my positioning on it. I, I did not think it was really possible. He never, he never doubts himself because he was not. He, no. he went hot that game. And that I'll give him credit. Check. Hey, man, where they're going, the coaches are talking. To, he's grabbing guys, and he's talking to them, and he's coaching them up. So he is definitely a has taken on a role as a very vocal leader of this team, knowing that this team is going to have to help itself out a lot during this this run. You uh, we got we talked about how we got to give Rodney Terry some yes. credit because Rodney Terry is doing a great job making adjustments, and they may be small, minor adjustments, but they end up um, paying huge dividends for Texas. You had a piece of audio, uh, and, and good job for you finding because it was actually something I thought was fascinating about how Rodney Terry made one of those adjustments in-game, real-time. Yes, here we go. Well, this young generation is a visual learning crew, and so, you know, we got a great video guy in Fireball, and Fireball had the turnovers and he had the transition baskets, which were really hurting us to start to have. So our guys got a chance to see – Visually, when we were driving in the traffic, we weren't strong with the ball. We were making passes we said we couldn't make against this team. And uh, and as a result of that, they were scoring in transition. And uh, so our guys got a chance to see that. The ball was sticking. We showed some possessions where the ball wasn't moving like it needed to move. Uh, and uh, and I, I think, again, our guys got a chance to see that and understand, hey, we got to come out. We got to move the ball. We have to be strong with the ball. We have to play inside out and, uh, and trust your teammates. And... Uh, uh, again, you know, uh, you, you got a chance to visually see it. You know what I mean? So um, I thought that was really good for us. And 
Okay, so how long is halftime? Was it 15? Is it 15 minutes? 15 minutes. 15 minutes? And that's 15 minutes from, they're technically supposed to be when you clear the court, the timer starts. But then you have to come back out and start warming back up. You're usually doing that with about four to five left. So 10 minutes, basically. So we got 10 minutes minutes in the locker room, basically. And 10 minutes in the locker room. And Coach uh, Coach Terry is basically the the videographers and the video crew, they were able to assemble the footage that he wanted. During the first half, and have it ready to show the guys on display for them in that ten minutes and a half time. Ten minutes, yeah. That's that's a highly efficient. Well, they always talk about how organizations win championships. Yeah, it ain't just the players and the coaches, also the videographers and video crew and equipment guys and all that. That is really an example of it. I mean, you had. To, I wonder how many moving pieces had to make that happen in a timely manner, so they could all keep everything back on track, so they can make it on halftime and also get points, uh, the coaches' points across. That is that's, I, and I, you know, it's other sports. They, you know, they do a lot more uh, real time uh, adjustments. At, you know, advised by you know tablets and real time video footage. You see the NFL all the time. Baseball, they've got in trouble for it a lot of time. Baseball talking about it too, um, and basketball. They, I, I, do I do they do they have that? In, I mean, and that's in, sure in my experience. It. And when I see it, it's just not as much, not in much in game on the sideline on in game because you have to be focused on what's happening on the court. Everybody has and, to be focused on, and the, the assistant coaches do too. So you don't see as much. You'll see a little bit of coaching during a game with assistant coaches, but in football, you have a quarterback's coach. Yeah. So when the quarterback walks off, got the tablet. That is his job is to talk to that guy. Yeah. He has no care about what's happening until they get back on the court, until they get back on the field. In in baseball, if you're a hitting coach, you don't care about the defense. You care about hitting, and so you have to worry about that. If your guy's already – if you if you're like, hey, man, we need you to check on the first baseman and the second. But in basketball, you're like, hey, man, you're in charge of the bigs, and we got you these two guys specifically. You may go over to him and go, hey, man, I noticed you're doing this, but you can't show him a towel and go, you did that and that. And it may be coming that that's a way, but this seems more – of the very new school way of doing things. I love it. And, and I love it because, well, for two reasons. One, it's I like being, when you say, hey, man, whatever I'm doing before wasn't working, and we talk about Chris Beard and Rodney having to yell more. Mm-hmm. You go, hey, man, maybe I don't have to yell more. Maybe I can show them. And so instead of me saying it, I, they're smart kids. They play basketball their whole lives. They know if I show them that they're dribbling the ball this way, they know what they're doing wrong. And then I can point to it and go, that right there, this needs to be four more inches inside. You go, oh, yeah, of course it does. Yep. I've gone to camps my entire life. Of course I know this. So I think that that's a, it's a very smart way. I a ton of credit for him for doing it. And then the second part of why you love it, it worked. It worked. It worked because that second half they came out and played much better. Different team. So, I, I yeah, it's something that I, did, I hadn't seen a lot of people talking about today, but I, I read a tweet on it last night. And then saw went through the presser today to find out when he said it. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I just read the yeah, text. Yeah, I, I it's a great too. text. Maybe the text of the day. Uh, not a nav guy. Can we introduce that video crew to Sark? <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Well done. Well done there, sir. Well done. Uh, that's fantastic. That is that's that's really good. That's really good. Uh, but no, I, I'm with, I'm with you, Pat. That's a, a great point. Great audio. I'm glad you cut you brought that up because uh, I it brought up a more macro discussion too. Because even in timeouts, I don't see you know you don't see that in the NBA or in basketball games. So I mean, in halftime, I guess it's the only time you really can uh, break out the video. And even then, I don't hear about it a lot. I'm sh- maybe I'm sure it happens, but we I'm don't sure it hear does about too. it. But it was great. It was great that he recognized. I was 
would say coaches are just teachers, and teachers have to understand that everybody learns in a different way, and that's one of the beauty of teachers, God bless them all, uh, that they figure out how every individual you know, a uh, student learns. It's like, all right, I got to teach this student, you know, a little bit differently than this student. And they got to figure out those little, those little niches. And that's exactly what he did. He's like, no, 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 these kids, I've been telling it to them. They need to see it visually. And I'll, uh, I'll tell it to them while they see it. And then something will click. It's exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that's fantastic. Good, good for you, Rodney Terry. I said, take full advantage of the opportunity because I think everybody, uh, at least everybody around these parts and the folks behind the burnt orange curtain, the the, uh, uh, the administrative staff, uh, the fans, uh, boosters and donors, I think, too. They all want Rodney Terry to keep this damn job. Hey, man, you know, what? I, I don't I don't really know anybody out there who's not rooting for him. Now, if he doesn't get the job done, then maybe we got to move That's on. That's the thing is the reason you want him to keep the job is because it's, oh. because that means he's winning. That means he's winning. That's exactly right. So, Go yeah, get it. of course, we want him to keep the job because that means he's winning. This is, he, you might maybe it's selfish on my part because uh, <laughs> I know how it's going to work out. But uh, everybody's rooting for right Terry, And right now he's doing a damn good job. So shout out to Rodney Terry. And uh, Texture brought up earlier the one loss that he has is the K-State, uh, arguably right now the hottest team in the country. Uh, and the Big 12, pretty much every game's going to be like that. <laughs> that's, that's how I imagine most of the games happening in the Big 12 because uh, it is such a tough league. Um, so next uh, game will be Texas Tech. And Texas Tech right now at the bottom of the Big 12, but they're desperate. This will be, honestly, this is a game that could really be the turning point in their season potentially. It's one of them. Yeah. I mean, right? everybody comes to Austin to mm-hmm. beat the Longhorns. They don't come here to play the Longhorns. They come here to beat the Longhorns. Yep. So you better be ready to play. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I totally agree. All right, we come back. We'll get into Rod's round of the day. Superlatives about the NFL season. Uh, it was a once-in-a-generation type NFL season. I'll tell you why. We'll get into that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie. I want to put on the horn. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Find out what happens when people stop being polite. And start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, no, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's rant of the day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to uh, Ball Don't Lie right here on 1049 The Horn. Time to get to Rod's rant of the day. I've been keeping up with uh, some of the NFL's uh, records, their superlatives throughout the year, and I want to get to some of those right now. One of the things I found that was really intriguing, just a really kind of cool random nugget, out of the 14 quarterbacks that are left remaining in the postseason, five of the 14 are former Big 12 quarterbacks. Isn't that weird? Brock Purdy, Scholar Thompson, Jalen Hurts, he's SEC and Big 12, shout out, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes, and then Geno Smith is considered basically a Big 12 QB. Isn't that weird? That just, to me, is very strange. Because the Big 12 doesn't that it has a reputation for, uh, you know, great offenses and, and quarterback play, too, no question. Um, but to have Scholar Thompson and Brock Purdy and Geno Smith be those quarterbacks, it's just not the quarterbacks – the highly decorated quarterbacks to come from the Big 12, you would have thought. 
Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, Scholar Thompson, Geno Smith. Geno Smith was a second round pick, so Geno Smith should be up there. Uh, but Jalen Hurts actually was uh, got a lot of criticism being drafted as high as he was. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, keeping with that uh, that theme. So I found this little factoid, too. I thought it was cool. So there have been three different playoff teams who have started third-string quarterbacks in uh, the playoffs since 2000. Um, Tyler, Taylor Heineke uh, with Washington in 2020. Tw- 2016, Connor Cook did it for Oakland. In 2014, it was Ryan Lindley for Arizona. Um, Doug Flutie actually did it in 1986, too. Those are the only ones that I could find uh, most recently in the Super Bowl era. You're going to have three different playoff teams this season, <laughs> this, this, this postseason, that are going to be starting third-string quarterbacks. Baltimore is going to start a third-string quarterback. Uh, Miami is going to start a third-string quarterback with Skylar Thompson. And the 49ers are going to start one with Brock Purdy. Now, I will say the Baltimore thing, we're not 100% sure that Baltimore is going to start third-string quarterback Anthony Brown because there's been some talk that I know Lamar Jackson's not going to play, but then Tyler Huntley, I don't know if he's already been ruled out too. It's most likely going to be Anthony Brown. That would be pretty wild. Shows you that teams should start investing more in the quarterback position overall, not just the the first string or your franchise quarterback. I would say quarterback, if it's the most valuable position in football, we should treat it like everything valuable in our lives, and we should have insurance on it, right? Your life, your house, your car, your health, everything valuable in our life, we insure. And the only thing with quarterbacks, they, they, they don't really pay a lot of money or don't value the backup quarterback position or even the third-string quarterback position. All the money and all the resources go toward the franchise quarterback or the starter, but that's only liability, right? You want to be fully covered. A lot of these teams give props to the 49ers, fully covered. And they give props to, to Baltimore. Still, if you can make the playoffs – with your third-string quarterback, I would say you were fully covered at the quarterback position. All right, let's get to some of these other – speaking of quarterbacks, let's just make the segue. You, you set a record this year for uh, different starting quarterbacks in an NFL season. You had 66 different NFL starting quarterbacks this year. That was the most in a non-strike-shortened season. In the strike-shortened season in 1987, they used 87 quarterbacks. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really tough position to play. 87 quarterbacks in a strike-shortened season. Um, NFL teams, this year, you had 50 games. And by the way, these are records that would have been set in 16-game seasons. The, 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 the quarterback record I just mentioned would have been set in a 16-game season. All right? Because they, they um, last... I think last week or week 17, they were at 64, which would have tied the record for most quarterbacks um, used in a non-strike shortened season, except you broke the record with 66. Um, but there were, so I say all these records that I'm mentioning right now would have been set in a 16 game season. So don't hit me up on Spectacle Line. Ah, of course they got the record. It's 17 games. I don't know why that is my impre- impersonation of whoever is going to be texting me the criticism. That's what it is. So Dead fi- on impression. And then, <laughs> right? That was, uh, I'm sure that wasn't fair to whoever's going to do that. But 50 games that the NFL had this season, that's the most in NFL history where a team overcame a double dig- digit deficit to win. 
50 such games, which is the most you've ever had, even in a 16-game season that still would have set the record. Um, so it was easily the most competitive season in NFL history. Lowest margin of victory in the NFL since 1932. Uh, 9.7 points was the average low average margin of victory. Uh, it was 9.1 in 1932. You had the most games decided by six points or fewer. By the way, these, these games, these records would have been set even in 16 games. Most games decided by six points or fewer, 122. Uh, most games decided by seven points or fewer, 141. Most games decided by eight points or fewer, 156. Most games within one score in the fourth quarter, uh, 203. Uh, either way, would have set those records even in a 16-game season. Uh, I believe it was the first time in the Super Bowl era you had three 12-win teams in 2021 who had losing records in this season. Um, You had seven teams um, that uh, missed the playoffs basically in 2021, end up making the playoffs in 2022. Um, That also, how about this? Five first-year head coaches, first-year head coaches with their teams, with their new teams, uh, made the NFL playoffs. Todd Bowles, Brian Dabble, Mike McDaniel, Kevin O'Connell, Doug Peterson, and you had uh, three coaches in their first year period as head coaches, which were Kevin O'Connell, Mike McDaniel, and Brian Dabble. So keeping hope alive. Uh, how about this? Only 12 teams. This is a staggering, mind-blowing stat. Only 12 teams had a positive scoring differential in 2022. Just 12. Only 12 teams. That is the fewest in the 32-team era and the fewest since 1994 when they had just 28 teams, that's basically when the salary cap started too. So in the salary cap era, these are the fewest teams you've had in uh, positive scoring differential, only 12 of them. Is you that have, the Vikings messing that one up? <clears throat> Vikings are the only team in NFL history to have at least 11 wins and have a negative scoring differential. It's never, ever happened. They essentially are the worst. You could argue the worst. I'm not joking. They are the worst 11-plus win team in NFL history. You can make that argument if you want to. Just saying. You can make that argument. Um, 61.2% of all the games were were a game-winning drive or a fourth-quarter comeback opportunity. Um, That was 166. That also is the most uh, since, I think, 2013. And so you just had a really competitive season. And the NFL, strangely enough, got its wish. And they always say, be careful what you wish for. The NFL has always built their model around parity. The salary cap is built around parity. The way they structure the draft, built around parity. They would love, ideally, for every team to be 8-8 because they want to sell hope and they want to sell change. They want every team to believe that they got a shot for their team to make the playoffs. Uh, That's why they take pride in, you know, teams. I think this been uh, every year since 1990. You've had 33 straight years where at least four teams made the playoffs that didn't make it the year before. So they want to sell hope. They're, you know, they're like the Catholic Church, man. They want to sell hope. All right. And they do it really, really well. And part of that is it's about parity. So they've got the ultimate parity. This is the most parity driven season in the history of the NFL. But the Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams size, Cardi B size, Megan the Stallion size, Beyonce size, but is scoring's down. And they can't figure it out. They got the parody. So they, they, they changed the rules to get, you know, this to get more scoring. They, so they, they, what they wanted is parody to improve, parody to go up, to increase, but also points to increase while the parody did. But one increased exponentially. They got the parody. They got the most uh, competitive league they've ever had, but the points dropped off. 
So what I'm predicting is you're going to get some rule changes, just kind of random ones in the offseason, just small little things, maybe helping them, um, you know, hold a little bit more or maybe giving offensive, offensive wide receivers a little bit room to separate. They'll tweak some things, guarantee you, because they're freaked out about that. They want more points. They like the, how, how tight the games are, but they definitely want That's, more points. I've told you my, my theory of one that I don't know how they do it, but I think something about letting linemen get a step or two oh, further downfield. Just it gives the alignment such a bigger advantage and schematically, and there's a bunch of things you can do with it. And I don't know what the yardage is of how much further they can go down in a pass play. Yeah. But I think it makes pass blocking way easier. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's two yards in the league. So and if it's like college, it's like four. So if it's like you take pro to four or you take it if I mean five might is probably gonna be way too much. But uh, but something in there where you give them a little bit more room to push instead of instead of like making linemen be on the back of their heels, you push them forward, that kind of thing. I think you're right, man. I, that's that a that great to point. me is something that, and to the casual fan, is not offensive. Because if you say, hey, we're doing this to protect quarterbacks, they go, we hate it. But if you say, oh, linemen can just do this, you go, well, we don't care about what O-linemen do. Yeah, when you're blocking for a pass play, I believe it's like one or two yards in the league. Yeah. Um, so you're basically saying make it where the college rule is. The college rule is, I think the college rule gives you more. I forget exactly what it is. You got like three or four. But yeah, that that to me is something that I think you could get away with putting a rule change in that would probably give you more points, protect your quarterback a little bit more, and not be over the top. Everyone would realize what you were doing. Yeah, no, I like that. That's a good. I, I'm with you. I think something will change. NCAA allows ineligible receivers to be three yards downfield. Yeah. So three yards. The NFL is like one yard. I think they give you a little grace there. I mean, it gets like a, maybe close to two yards. The NCAA is three yards, and I think they it's like speeding, right? They always say the cops won't stop if you go five five miles over the speed limit. I'm not quoting cops, by the way. It's just what the people say. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what I think uh, ineligible man downfield is too. I believe they give you a little, you know, you, as long as you don't go more than a yard over, I think you're okay. So you give you a little bit of a sweet spot there. But I think you're right because that would help RPOs a ton. Yeah. The run-pass option game would go would take off. I guarantee they it would exponentially increase in the league, RPOs for everybody. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I think it's just, it's just mm-hmm. it helps. In a league where offensive linemen have seemed to be getting beat more and more every year, Yeah, it gives offensive linemen an edge, <laughs> which then gives quarterbacks an edge, which gives running backs an edge, which gives offense an edge. And this was a small thing that most people won't know the ramifications seem, of. They we, won't know how big it would. Yeah, is. if you yeah. say, "Hey, we're going to make defensive pass interference more," we're going to do. Everyone goes, "No, yeah. you're ruining the game." We're hey, like if you say roughing the passer more, ruining the game. Yeah, that I feel like you can slide under, and most casual fans wouldn't care. I'm with you on that. And Texas says widen the hash marks. Yeah, but then that would get people amped, and they would be like, "Oh no, you're ruining the game because you're helping out the offense too much." Patrick's suggestion is a dis- a more discreet one that I think would kind of go under the radar for the most part until yeah. a few years later when everybody's like, what happened? Why are these points being scored? It's like, actually, <laughs> why, very why small. is the interior <laughs> defensive line of every team garbage now? Yeah, no, that's a good point there. Uh, all right, we'll come back. We'll get into a little off the record on the other side. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful night the horn. Salary. 
Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie. New theme Thursday, the theme of the day, paying tribute to a goat. I'm talking about one of the greatest guitarists uh, in the uh, oh, in the modern era, maybe in music history, uh, Jeff Beck, who passed away. So new theme Thursday uh, devoted to him and uh, his many fans, as I found out on the Specs text line, man. Jeff Beck's got a lot of fans, so shout out to my man Patrick, uh, edu- educating us on the iconic status of one Jeff Beck, the late, great Jeff Beck. All right, another off the record here. We'll be quick with this one because uh, we're up against it. I saw via the uh, Pro Football Talk article this little nugget about Tom Brady and the 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 FTX bankruptcy of that crypto, like that cryptocurrency yeah. uh, site or crypto. I don't know exactly what exactly it was, but um, they were heavily invested in this cryptocurrency company. And uh, according to FrontOfficeSports dot com. As originally reported by New York Post, um, it says here that Brady owned more than 1.1 million shares in the company, and his wife Giselle owned more than 686,000 shares in this company. And they said Brady's shares were worth in the past; um, it was estimated by Forbes to be at 45 million dollars. And they said that it's possible now those shares are worthless. Not a great year for Tom Brady. <sighs> Man, yeah, because I think he was heavily invested in the crypto. Yeah, man, that's unfortunate. That's uh, I, I didn't know. There's there are rumors that even the divorce is not. I'm not saying it's not real, but a lot of it may be fabricated because they are trying their best to separate assets types type of things or save and hide assets. That's a conspiracy theory. Okay, I got you. I see what you you're saying. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that, yeah. That, that's because they lost I, we, so we, much I, I hate you. I hate you. Put that over in the corner. Yeah, yeah, ah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. They hate you. Right now, they apparently, I, we don't know how much they, I mean, we I guess we can guess how much they're worth, but losing $45 million. No one wants to lose $45 million. <laughs> no one. Except Carlos Correa. I kid Carlos Correa. But you're right. I mean, so maybe this is why, you know, not, not, I mean, I know Brady loves the game, but maybe this is part of the reason Brady's like, nah, I probably should play a couple more years. Make that 45 mil back. Make it back. You know, make it back. you're just going to be like, man, I don't want to. I don't mm. want to remember my. I don't remember my last year where they started throwing flags at me. Oh, they started man. throwing flags at me. Uh, well, right, let, let me ask you because there's a belief that Tom Brady is going to play football again next season, but he won't be playing for the Bucks. Yeah. Who? What team do you think Tom Brady goes to? I mean, that it's because he, so he'll, he'll have a he'll have his pick from like two or three teams potentially that may bring him in. Yeah, I mean, so we know the Raiders are all in. The Raiders got a shot. I mean, I'm not gonna say the Colts are always looking for a QB. Uh, yeah, but I don't think he's going. I don't think he's going to Indianapolis. You don't think he's going? You just not, that doesn't strike you as a Tom Brady kind of glamour, glamour city. No, <laughs> I don't see Tom Brady renting some space in Indy. <laughs> Dude, they got a decent core though. There. No, no, I agree with all that. I'm saying, saying I don't think Tom Brady's like. Where do you want to finish your career? Uh, you know, the only reason is he's like, if I can win like two Super Bowls and just really stick it to Peyton. Very true. <laughs> that's, That'd be great. That's right. about it. He seems to want to go to a coast. Yes. He seems to want to be on a coast. Yeah. We know that. So, and I mean, San Francisco at this point, you can't be like, hey, can we bring in Tom Brady? We we got seven quarterbacks on the roster. I don't think – I, I, I know this for a fact. Shano and John Lynch don't even know what's going to happen at the quarterback position with San Fran. Yeah. Jimmy's going to be gone. We know that. It was Trey. Remember, Trey Lance is our guy. It's yeah. his job. Gave well, all the picks for him. What happened if a rookie quarterback leads you to the Super Bowl? What are you going to do about that? I you know. going to bench him for Trey Lance? Or go get Tom Brady. Or go get Tom Brady for the whole day. I, don't, I have no idea what's going to happen with them. I'm with you. So that could be a possibility. It could be. And then some people keep bringing up that that they don't think Tua, there's, there's reports they don't, that Tua 
may be compromised potentially like about yeah. his health just because he's had so many concussions in a row yep. and that Mike McDaniel may not want to expose his career potentially you know what I mean and really jeopardize his career more I should say by playing him too much and risking that and then having the court of public opinion see him yeah, yeah. as an irresponsible head coach who doesn't care about his players that kind of thing and that he may decide, no, 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 I don't want to hitch my wagon to two. I'm hitching my wagon to somebody else. Yeah, and bring him in as a stopgap in there for a little bit. We know he. That's what. That's what Tom Brady wanted. Yeah, Tom Brady wanted to be in Miami. Yeah, initially. that's it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I figure there's going to be a beach, but nearby where he goes. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think there's a beach. Know. I don't think there's a beach in Indianapolis. <laughs> I'm telling you, Indianapolis. I don't think he's going to the Commanders either. Oh, you know who's going to Indy? Derek Carr. Derek Carr's going there. I think we all know this, right? We know this. That's it. Seems like that. It seems like it's just it's yeah. just natural. They've had like six different starting quarterbacks in six years. Derek Carr is going to end up. You know what? It would be a good spot for him, depending on who the head coach is. And long as it's not Jeff Saturday. <laughs> long as it's not Jeff Saturday. All right, we'll come back. We'll get into Super Wild Card Weekend. We'll preview it, break it down from every angle. Also, talk about the head coaching vacancies in the NFL. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie. Wonderful, not the horn.